And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Uh, thank you for coming back for season three. This is uh, is early season three, and we hope you enjoy uh Participate. We want to hear what you think too. And now, Miss Dr. Perry, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hi, um, I'm Dr. Perry, and I'm a recovering performance artist. Oh, <laughs> this isn't that meeting. I'm sorry. Um, I'm an author. I write books about <laughs> magical performance artists. Yes. So, what what kind of performances did we do? We talk in opera, uh, stage, TV, yeah. mm. all of the above. TV, yeah. Well, I mean, technically, TV. Okay, yeah. that's cool. More than I, I did. Saying it go on a commercial, you cannot tell it was me. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right, and so the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them, and uh, this is one of those interviews when we were scheduling for season three, where Doc said, "I like this lady's books. Schedule her," and so it was. What about you, Doc? How did you first find the one, the only, the amazing Miss Dr. Perry? I found her through Dragon Con, and so we kind of met, and I think I've paneled you before this year even, and but we really kind of bonded when I, I was feeling super, super stressed, and then next thing I know, I got this beautiful book in the mail. It's glorious. <laughs> and who doesn't love book mail? Because I do. <laughs> and, uh, and I read it, and I loved it so much. There was so much wonderful goodness about it it's a ya series but it's not the divergent which is fine but i really don't need i got my fair more than fair share of teen angst when i was a teenager <laughs> i had so this is a really great one i thought it was such a wonderful balanced story i really wanted to have her on oh my gosh nick showed up, nick showed up. i am shocked you know the- when he clicked the link that it was actually going to work I think so. He normally has to work on Tuesdays, so we're just happy to see his lovely shining face. So, all right. So the um, the religion question, Doc. This is the important stuff. Yes. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Star Trek. Yes. See, I knew she yeah. would. <laughs> you can do it. So, okay. So. So we're polytheists and we're going to go with the fantasy as well. Legacies, Wednesday, or Percy Jackson? That is a really tough call because I love all of those. Um, and Wednesday is new. I really want to see what they're, what's going to happen next. Um, but I guess I'm going to say Percy Jackson because my daughter is reading it now. So, um, and she just loves it. She's about halfway through and she started at the beginning of the school year. And I think this is the fastest that she's read, um, a series. Wow. That's great. So I, I, I cannot wait for mine to finally find that magic series that like flips the switch. So it's a good series. Yeah. You don't have to be a kid to read it either. That's one of those ones that I, it's just I enjoyable to I love it. it. It's a great I had series. one once. And the, I lent it. 
you don't lend say, out your box sets. I lent it to a friend, and then her husband was Navy and got moved, and then she didn't think to give it back before she moved, and now my box set is her box set. Well, Jr., you should know better than to trust a seaman. Well, I didn't trust a seaman. I trusted the seaman's wife. <laughs> well, just wow, that could be do. somebody. Somebody send him a box set. He needs a new one. <laughs> Uh, I want to get, I'm going to get it again eventually because I want the kids to read it because that's Boy. just one of those ones that's like, it's a good story for young boys. Uh, I mean, it's it's got female characters too, so I don't think it's just a like a boys adventure story, but no. it's, you know, it's it's good that everybody is portrayed in such a positive light. Nowadays with everything tries to take a political slant, this is just good fun. And that's, mm -hmm. that's something we're celebrating. So. Well, my daughter so likes fun. it because Percy has ADHD just like her. Are you sure okay. I'm not related to your daughter? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Related. <laughs> so, um, I I actually get that, and I love that because it's uh, it is really easy to see a lot in yourself, but sometimes those things that are really important and aren't visible aren't. It's harder to find in their characters. So, so you said you said that you picked Percy Jackson because your daughter was reading it, but have you um, checked out Wednesday? Because you know when we were talking in the pre-show. No, she said you were she the hasn't one who... checked out Wednesday yet. Oh, no, or no, I did. You I, did. I watched it, um, and I just want to see what else is coming. Um, but I didn't. One of the reasons I didn't pick Wednesday, even though I was a goth teen, um, is that um, just I haven't seen enough of it yet, and I know there's just more there, um, but. Again, it's like sometimes you have to go with something that you can you can share with other people, especially those closest to you. So I, I think you also make a really good point that who knows what they're going to do. We've seen some amazing TV series start out super strong and um, and not such. Yeah, so. they don't always end how they start. So have you watched the uh, the Netflix special, The Order? Which is also set at a school where their college where they teach magic as well in the background, like a secret society. Yeah, I stopped watching the order and I picked up the magicians and I had never looked back. The magicians was awesome. All right, <laughs> I'll have to check out the magicians. Magic oh, it's so yeah, good. I'm I'm at season. I just started season two of the order, so I'm like, this is the last season. I don't know if they're going to do a third, so I might as well just follow it to completion. And it looks like Nick had some technical issues, so sadly. Oh. We love him anyways. I can't say anything. We'll get him hooked up. So, you know, we love both sci-fi and fantasy, obviously. But which was your first love? I think fantasy. Um, I don't remember it, but I've always been told that the first movie that I got brought to was Peter Pan. Uh, Disney's <laughs> Peter Pan. So, I, but I don't remember it. I was, like, tiny. Too tiny. I um, you love it when they're like, don't you remember? And you're like, like no. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't remember. even five. And nope. then you got to wonder whether you're actually remembering it or you just remember hearing them tell you about it and sort mm -hmm. of implanting those memories. But what I do remember was seeing the Rankin Bass, The Hobbit. Ooh. So, and I loved it. And I, oh my God, I watched That's a that good one. so many times. Did you watch The Last Unicorn too? I did. I did. But I saw The Hobbit for, before I saw that. So we, I can't that was the which one I saw first. I don't either. I just know I've watched both. So you talked about what you watched as far as your first exposure to speculative fiction, but did you, perchance, read or play any games in that space before that, or was it just the television first? Um, I did read 
um, I remember that I was reading, I had in my room, I had uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and it was there. Oh, a good one. I remember it being there before I read it. So I don't even know where it came from. It's like, um, you know, the early, late 60s, early 70s edition. So I don't know if it maybe belonged to somebody before me um, in the family or what, but uh, it was just always there. And then finally I was, I wanted to read it and I did. And that I just never stopped reading. I kept going to the library and asking them for more books like that. And I was given uh, a little princess and I was like, but where's like the talking animals in <laughs> the librarian's like, oh, not from the UK with magic. And then she's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> she brought me to the right section. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was a thing. Absolutely. Definitely part of it. Um, yeah. And I read, oh, wow. Back then I read, um, those librarians, they can be tour guides. Oh yeah. I was reading a little past my grade level. I was reading, I read Earthsea. Wow. Um, yeah, That's I read I read The Hobbit too because of course I was obsessed with it. <laughs> so I read that. I tried reading it before I actually read it, and I didn't get through it. Um, and you know, another year later, I then I did read it. I would think I was in the I think I was in the second grade. Yeah, just yeah. a lot ahead of your time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I was I was early with that, but I sucked at math, and I still do. So that's okay. Unless you're doing lit RPG, you don't need math for the writing. Yeah, and do they, yeah, and, and you just hand wave it. You're good. So, <laughs> speaking of speculative fiction, what is it about that umbrella genre that you like so much? The best thing I liked was when the characters seemed like real people, right? And yet the worlds were just not real they were there was more to them than just what we consider our experience um at least when we're awake anyway i used to have all kinds of dreams about dragons and unicorns and then you know of course obviously elves and dwarves and hobbits too um and i just always used to think yeah but what if and that's what started me telling stories i used to there was a girl down the street from me and um she didn't read that early. So I was always, first I started reading her stuff and then I started making stories up for us that, you know, people who were very much like us were actually in. So that's kind of, I started kind of telling stories before I really started writing them. But the first story I ever wrote, because I used to sit on the couch and watch original series Star Trek um, with my dad when it came on, it would come on like the um, fundraising marathons, right? And I would watch that. And so the very first thing I actually took the time to write down was this really horrendous script for a Star Trek episode, an original series one, because this was before Next Generation came out. Um, I'm older than Will Wheaton. <laughs> um, and he- Don't lie to like, us. Yeah, <laughs> about the same age then. Will you buy that? Sure. I would totally buy it. About that. So anyway- um, I wrote it. It was about a food fight because the replicator malfunctioned. So it was terrible. It was really terrible. Um, but so who won the food fight? It was Chekhov. Yeah, I could buy that. I'm not even surprised. That works I for me. I was going to suggest that, that I told too. You it wasn't that great because if you already knew Chekhov was going to win, like. But I like Chekhov. Is the thing. Chekhov That's is why one of I, my I, favorites always. So I would have rooted for Chekhov 
no matter what. So you went with the one I like. The engineers were my favorite too. So so I, I get it. So I how did an engineer? I said two is in addition to. Okay. Oh, oh no. I thought you were adding me to your list of uh, understanding. Chekhov was not an engineer. No, no. So Scotty was my other favorite character because he had a cool accent. Mm-hmm. So and, and the accent just it sounded different than what I was used to hearing. So I was just I, I dug it. Um, and those would come on together, like you said, the uh, the late night you know rerun channels that you know did all the old shows. So I watched the uh, the original series as well. So we talked. You talked about how you started writing, sort of, as a hobbyist. But how did that transition into you deciding to write professionally? Not for a very long time. Um, I wanted to write. I knew that people wrote books, and I said, "Well, if people write books, I want that job." And I thought, "Okay, so I guess there must be a job called author where you go into an office." and you sit down and you write books no <laughs> not unless you have your own office in your house which like i mean i guess mine sort of is it's like a little tiny little room um but it's um it's not that kind of a job and so i said to myself i'm going to pay really good attention at school i have to make sure that uh i keep reading and i and i learn how to write and i learn how to use a typewriter and all of this other stuff that I imagined authors needed to know. And then I find out that, no, it doesn't work that way and that you have to send your book and that you have to get people to read it. And at the same time, um, I also got interested in theater. So I said to myself, oh, so like my book could go audition and I could go audition. So I started doing theater. I started doing um like community theater productions and children theater productions. And my sister did too. She still, she still does that. <laughs> um, she is a performance art teacher and choreographer down in Florida. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, she went to college for it and everything. Um, she's works on cruise ships. She's, she's amazing. Um, but her, you know, her, her uh, personality is like kind of more suited to that, doing that long-term for me, I was like, yeah okay so i'm playing this part and this character's doing this stuff and i asked that terrible question that actors are stereotypically asking all the time what's my motivation and then i said to myself oh i can answer that because this 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 could happen in the background and then i found myself wanting to edit the scripts and, I, <laughs> and i'm telling you i am 13 14 years old and i'm trying to edit the scripts and i'm i'm going to this director who was this really sweet older lady named Annette. I loved her to, to pieces. And I was like, would it make more sense if they said it this way? And she's like, we paid for to use the, the script the way it is. You can't change it, Diana. So it was like, oh. Um, and then I, I thought back about writing again. And what if I wrote, what if I wrote plays? And I tried that. Um, and um, just the reality of everything kind of came home a little bit later when I was reaching the end of high school and I was getting to be college aged and it just sort of stuff fell apart and I didn't do anything for a long time. I scribbled poetry and notebooks at coffee shops. Um, and I didn't, I, I leaned heavily into the goth stuff and I didn't do, I didn't dance anywhere except in nightclubs for like a couple decades. Um, yeah, I never, I never really got back on the stage um, except 
at karaoke and that's scary. Um, so <laughs> yeah. And then, um, finally I got into RPs, uh, RPGs. So I started playing, um, believe it or not. Uh, one of the first things that I was playing, um, was riffs. Okay. <laughs> Talk about math though. That is a math intensive game. Yeah. Fortunately, the other players were like, Oh, no, I mean, I, that's a good idea. And you've got to roll the dice, but I, I'll do the math for you. I'll, but I want to see what, what happens when you try that. Um, and <laughs> then, you know, I got into LARP. So I, goth, gamer, vampire LARP. I spent a lot of time at the vampire LARP. <laughs> so was it Vampire the Masquerade uh, appeal to you as well? It was that. It was, uh, I also played Requiem. I played Mage, um, okay. the old Mage and the new Mage. I played Changeling, the Dreaming. Um, I played the Mortals game in both both worlds of darkness. The old and the new, I guess, is like the thing now. Um, so yeah, I played, I tried pretty much everything. The only thing I didn't get a chance to really give a shot to was Mummy, because no one ran it. Um, yeah. But I, I played all that stuff. And one of the things that I found fascinating about it was I was telling us, I was part of a story, but I wasn't the only one telling it. Everyone was, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to LARP, you're in the scene and it's sort of this, this improv that doesn't have to be comedy and doesn't have to devolve into slapstick, which that always happened when I'd done it before as a theater exercise. Um, so it was like, Oh, this is serious improv for serious people. So serious. I'm the dog store. I'm so serious. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry too. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I've done LARPs and you're right. It, it is. It's like that. Um, and I mean, I, mean, I I've had people doing LARPs who literally give themselves like upset their own stomach uh -huh. to the point of multiple restroom visits. Oh, so we, like, we've called it bleed. Now I guess that's the term where you it sort of like goes over into your your real life emotions and stuff. Um, but you know it, it's it was it was just fascinating and interesting to tell the story and kind of be able to let parts of it go um, and share it with other people. And um, I've had I have my my editor. I actually finally met her in person not long ago, and she said, "You you are like." you just, you take what we tell you and you actually do it. You don't argue with us. And I'm like, why do people do that? And she said, yes. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. About theater. And she said, that's why. <laughs> I knew of an editor who uh, every author they worked with killed them in a book. Oh, Oh no! Oh no! I, I would, luckily, I would the editor my editors in, in books is like it nice was people. Funny. Luckily, the editor thought it was funny, so it oh, didn't boy. bother them. They they were like, "Let's just see how many people kill me." Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess you got to have hobbies. I, I want to be the Joe Buckley of my generation, so I get it. I'm gonna try to get more people to kill me in literature, <laughs> just so I can say that I beat Joe Buckley, who I've never met, but is apparently a real person. Um, I. Not sure Joe Buckley's still actually alive, but maybe I could be wrong. Somebody I don't know. I just can tell me. I just joked. I, I did a, a Google search on who was killed the most in fiction, and his name pops up. 
So I decided I was going to see if I could beat the record. So far, no, because most of the people that did it didn't end up publishing their books. Oh. I know, it's much sadness. So my theory to solve this is we can both be better than Joe Buckley is we just got to get someone to write a book where they clone our character thousands of times and then kill them all at once, and then we, like, cheat and jump ahead. I don't know if that will actually count, though. I don't think that will count. Technically, I don't know that, that I've seen Jango the rules. then, right? Right. Because, you know, the clone troopers. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. So, you know, uh, but anyway. I don't know. So we many, can ask Nick later or somebody can tell us in the comments what they think the correct answer is. Absolutely. Do that in the comments when we share this uh, on on the uh, Facebooks and, and all the places. So, all right. Back on track because we had fun getting off track. But many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So do you think there were any specific formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller? Um, I know I already mentioned the LARP, but um, I also know that that Doc could tell you um, that half of what I said made it into sorrow and joy. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay. uh, getting into some of the fandom stuff, have you had any cool fan art or somebody cosplay a character yet? Um, I haven't caught anyone out in the wild cosplaying my characters or anybody I don't know, um, you know, making art. But my spouse has done a couple of fan arts from stuff. The series before Gallows Hill Academy was Hawthorne Academy. And the main character in that, she is a magus with a familiar who's like this tiny dragon. They're, they're called dragonettes. Um, so he was like, oh, that's cute. So he drew what he thought the dragon that looked like. And then he drew what, once he had a description, as I corrected him, <laughs> as you do. Um, and he drew the like properly colored dragonette with the character. Um, and that's on his deviant art page. And then he has another one where I wrote this, um, I wrote this urban fantasy story about a vampire, a very Italian Catholic, Roman Catholic vampire from Rhode Island named Valentino. Um, and he had a scene where this guy shows up on his doorstep and like, as happens in urban fantasy, he's compelled to investigate what happened to this poor dude who's not dead, but a really horrific experience happened to him. So, um, you know, he, he sees that this guy is a, is a survivor of uh, mental illness due to his, his uh, tattoo, which is a semicolon. And, um, you know, my, my husband, Jim, he decided to draw this scene between the two of him, the two of them, the vampire and, and this guy, Frankie, this ran, random dude who just blossomed into this whole character. He just knocked on Tino's door. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I know this guy. <laughs> well, first it's cool that your, uh, your husband reads your books because that is not the always true in, uh, in author marriages. That's what I hear. Uh, so that that's that's convenient for you because you get the that beta reader right that's that's got a vested interest in you selling well. He reads so. very slowly, so he kind of doesn't he doesn't make it in time for beta. <laughs> but <Sure. laughs> it's a so problem. Are your series because you mentioned you had a different magic series, the Hawthorne Academy? Is that linked to the? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So they're yeah. all in the same world. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have to read them in a certain? I know this is sort of jumping around, but do you have to read them in a certain order? Um, really with Hawthorne and Gallows Hill, you could read those in either order. Um, 
There is, though, the one that comes after Gallows Hill is Messing Psychic Academy. And you really should read Gallows Hill because Gallows Hill before you read Messing Psychic because um, there are characters in the beginning of Messing that, um, you know, it would it would behoove you to know you get more out of the book by knowing who they are. Um, the main character uh, has a problem and it comes from something that happened in Gallows Hill. So that's okay. also good to know. Okay. Well, before Doc gets back on track with the fandom question, I have to say my, I like the word behoove. So thank you for using it. That just <laughs> made my day. I had a first sergeant who would always say it would behoove you. Oh, I had a drill sergeant who always said that we knew pain was coming whenever he said it. Yeah, so, yeah. That word I always imagine like cows and horses prancing around in a field going, we're behooved. Oh, gross. Behooved. Okay, I get oh, it. I I'm following. Oh, if I could find Drill Surgeon Garrett now, I'd tell him this. <laughs> and then run. Um, has anyone ever asked Gallop. for your... <laughs> You're right. I would gallop. Or canter, but has anybody ever asked for your autograph in public? Yes, um, it was very unexpected. I went to Dragon Con um, and I had a book that was actually nominated on the shortlist for- um, Congratulations. Yeah, it was years back, but I was very stunned. Um, as a matter of fact, I went to the convention last minute um, and it was an alternate history. It was prohibition era monsters mobsters and magic uh and that book had a character in it um who was on the spectrum and i guess when i went like i you know people must have picked up the book because the following year i came back as an attending professional for the first time and while I was sitting down for a panel, like before the panel, this young man approaches me and he holds out, he holds out the book. And he said, we sign this for me. And I That's said, sure, awesome. absolutely. And I did. And then he went and he sat back down and a woman got up and she walked over to me and she said, thank you so much. And thanks for your character. And then I like, it clicked in my brain. I was like, Oh, that character. And then I said to myself, I got to write more characters like that. <laughs> and I did. Okay. So do you ever worry when you're at these panels where you, you know, people might ask you questions of your books and it's stuff you've forgotten? Sometimes uh, <laughs> I have nightmares about that. Oh. I wake up drenched with sweat and I'm like, oh my God, I don't remember what color Bobby's Tremaine's eyes are. What am I going to do? And he, he's a recurring character. He's a, in a, a very early book, like the very first book in this world. And then he comes back as like a high school gym coach. And okay. <laughs> I don't always remember. I don't always remember the little details like, like that. So especially once I haven't written them in a while. That's what Control F is for. Doc. Yes. You would know nothing about that, would you? Control F, what? Yeah, I let you search in a Word document. I totally do that shit all I have the to time. Find the right Word document, though. Oh, this is another. This is very true. Okay. That's when you need an OCD beta reader. 
or or I don't know. I mean, I could give solutions, but they're just theoretical solutions because I'm not a writer. I mean, uh, JR used to create model, go and identify actors and be like, they have this person's eyes so that he. So I've written in enough people's universes and with enough co-authors. What I do is I find a model that we can both agree, because even if we describe them differently, if we're using the same picture as the base, you're still describing the same person in the text. You're just mixing up the words. So I, I do that. There used to be a model site um, that you could find a bunch of like um, body shots of various up and coming wannabe models. Uh, and, I, and then I got a little creeped out about how much uh, information about the female models they would put out there. And I'm like, I don't need to know their clothing sizes. Like that just isn't factoring mm -hmm. in. It was a little weird. Um, but Yeah, but for modeling agencies, I could see them needing that. But I don't know enough about that. So instead. What? I was going to transition into her telling us about all the awesome series she's written. Okay, there. You do your job then. I try. Occasionally. <laughs> all right. So, Miss Perry, can you tell us about uh, what you've written? Okay. Um, so, I have the Gallows Hill series is in something I call Revealed World. Um, it has three completed series. The fourth one is in progress. And I have a fifth one planned um, to write after that. So the first one in there chronologically is Providence Paranormal College. Okay. Um, they are a series of 10 novellas. They're not very long. And each of them has uh, two main characters. So you get a very broad perspective on the world and the different types of extra humans that are in it. Um, we get shifters, uh, we get vampires, we get uh, dragons, werewolves, fae, um, and ghosts. I have ghosts who are walking around, psychics, uh, magi, and all kinds of different um, types of talents and, and abilities and things. Um, so in that series, it ends at 10 books. And I went on and I wrote a few other things. Um, I wrote the urban fantasy series with the vampire in Rhode Island. Um, and I wrote the um, the historical, uh, you know, mafia, mafia stuff. There, there's two books like that that I wrote. Um, and those are, I refer to them as La Familia. There's only two. Um, then uh, I have... One book I tr I tried to write lit RPG. I love lit RPG. I read it. Okay. Um, I love Dawn Chapman. She's amazing. Uh, KT Hanna. There's some really good, really good authors um, in the genre that I've enjoyed. Um, but I just, uh, the numbers, they, they murdered me. <laughs> I rolled a one <laughs> um, on my... Uh, attempt to write lit RPG. Um, so I stopped writing. Gotta burn the and, dice and start again. Um, I went back to Revealed World. And <laughs> I have not left since. So Hawthorne Academy is after Providence Paranormal College. Um, and just that's like uh, about like six years after. And then that takes place over three years. So Gallows Hill is nine years after Providence Paranormal College. And there's a lot of things that tie back to Providence Paranormal from Gallows Hill. There are Easter eggs. 
uh, and there are a few things that the characters are doing and a few characters that we very first saw very briefly uh, in Providence Paranormal. Then after that, um, because that's the three completed series, after that's Messing Academy. This is book one. It just came out not long ago. I love that cover. It is. It, it definitely screams YA. And um, this is um, Mihaela Valescu is my cover designer for these. She's amazing. Um, and uh, the character is a psychic and he thought he was going to be a medium and he's not one. He's something else and he doesn't know what to do about it. Um, so that's good. I have, let's see. So there's two of them out in that series so far. The third one's coming out. Well, yeah, the third will be out. Uh, it's in January and the fourth is coming in February. So those are, those are coming. There's going to be nine books in that series. And then after that, it's a series about dragons. Dragons <laughs> are cool. I yeah. look forward to this. <laughs> All right. And so normally we would um, transition a little smoother, but we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the woman this time. There you go, Doc. In a world where magic is controlled by law and government, mages are both coddled and persecuted. Corey Monroe knows she isn't a mage, and her best friend is. Reality isn't always what you know. If you are looking for an urban fantasy with found family, an education-based magic system, and evolving storylines, try My Luck by Mel Todd, book one in the Twisted Luck series. Available exclusively on Amazon. All right, so you just got done before we... Uh, had the commercial break. And thank you for sticking with us, dear listener, dear viewer. Um, so while all of those lists sound fascinating, today we're here to talk about the Gallows Hill Academy. So book one for that is Sorrow and Joy. Um, so where did you get the premise both for this series, the Gallows Hill, and the universe sort of writ large where it exists? Um, it started with a what if. I know I mentioned those before. But the big what if that really started it all was what if because uh, I'd been reading a lot of paranormal uh, romance at the time. And there was bear shifters were a big thing right then. And I was like, what if a bear shifter started hibernating in the middle of something important? What if it was a final exam? And that's Barely Awake. That's the first book in the Reveal World series. But in order for me to really do it justice, I had to flesh things out. I couldn't just have it be this, you know, one-off gag about a dude hibernating because he's grown up his entire life in Louisiana and is up north for the first time. Um, so I had to fill in some other characters. So I gave him a roommate who was a dragon from Newport because I made the dragons very hoity-toity and wealthy and, you know, sort of la-di-da. Um, Yep. This guy, Blaine, is he's very scary when he's angry, but fortunately, he's got a long fuse um, and is trying to help Bobby, but he's out of touch. So he can't really help. Um, and then I said to myself, well, there's there's got to be a love interest here. And I'm like, who would this really nice guy who just doesn't know what's happening need and want around him? And I thought a really smart chick, a really smart, nerdy chick a really smart nerdy chick who's mundane 
And that's Liz, that's Lynn Frampton. And she is um, studying to be a doctor for extra human people, even though she is mundane. She's like, oh, what's the hardest thing to be for me? Oh, a doctor. No, no, not just any doctor. I've got to be a doctor for the magic people because that's even harder. Um, she never backs down from a challenge. And um, the fact that she mm -hmm. she was mundane led into the plot that really grew the series for me. And that is what happens when a school that's only ever had magical people at it lets a mundane person attend. Her grades and her test scores and her essay and everything were just so amazing. They couldn't say no. They're like, let's integrate the school. And someone didn't like that. And that person is very powerful. So in the Providence Paranormal series, all of these different characters that go to the college have to deal with some sort of fallout because there is a prophecy that this very powerful person can be stopped, but only if this like procession of people thwarts him at each turn. And so then I had to make all of those people and it grew, it just grew the world into two. I had to make the under, I had to make the fairy realm. So we have that going on as well. Um, and then I said to myself, well, these people that use magic, where does it come from? It has to come from the under, it has to come from fairy. Otherwise people wouldn't have magic. So I linked that in um, as a big part of the world. And then I said, there's other things that are unexplained. The psychics don't have a source for their energy. And I said to myself, there's something else there but I didn't define it. Um, that That's in my private notes and I cannot tell you more about it. You have to read uh, all the way through to Messing Psychic Academy to get that. <laughs> okay. Um, so Providence Paranormal deals with setting up the world. Um, Hawthorne Academy deals with the Magi, um, why they are power players and have been power players since the world found out magic existed. Um, spoiler alert, it's because they seem the most human. They, they can kind of mingle. They can have a foot in, in each world. Um, and they have some systemic issues and those get addressed in Hawthorne Academy, some internal issues in their own sort of subculture. Um, Sorrow and Joy starts messing, uh, starts Gallows Hill Academy. Gallows Hill Academy is a school for shifters and fairies. And they are just very diverse and focused on these kids who are teenagers with hormones and also dealing with becoming something else. So the big theme that we deal with in Gallows Hill is changing and cycles. And what do you do when you're stuck in them and want to get out? Um, that is something it's a it's kind of all of these things are kind of topics that uh come from my observation of the world and just navigating through it um and then in messing academy it's well stuff's broken how do we fix it <laughs> okay all right so before we dig deeper into the specific series that we brought you here for we're going to show that beautiful cover uh, can you tell us where the idea for this cover art came from? I like the, the coloring. I like the purple sort of sticks out. It is purple, right, Doc? It is purple. You've survived perfect, perfect. the color wheel. 
Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I really like the image. I like the the wings and, and how they sort of stick out. So how did you get the uh, the story of this? The, how did this cover come to be? Um, well, first, when I came up with the with the idea for the series, um, I have something called the the magic birds. There are three of them and they're linked to fairy. And I had already revealed who the neutral one was and who the sealy one was. So I knew I needed an unsealy bird and I knew she was going to be a raven shifter. And um, I also knew, you know, she was going to have dark hair. She was going to uh, be a little bit goth, but, you know, trying to also blend in somewhat. So I went to Mahela and I said, I need like a like kind of gothic raven shifter girl in front of a school with like all kinds of crazy purple energy and stuff. And this is what she came up with. Um, and I really, um, she just kind of nailed it. The, the only thing that wasn't there and my, my spouse chimed in with this was put a bird on it. So, so, I mean, and I'm like, but she is a bird. And he's like, no, no, like bird birds, not shifter birds, bird birds, put some birds on it. And she did. Um, so that's like all the covers have those design elements. Um, the character Mavis is, you know, she has different poses on the different book covers, um, kind of to reflect that, you know, in the first book, she's sort of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then she's like, hey, wait a minute. And then she's like, all right. <laughs> Last book. So that was also a cool evolution. Um, it's really, I've got to say, it's really just amazing to work with a cover designer who knows the genre because you can just tell them those sort of things and they'll come up with something. And when they know the genre, you can trust them um, to make something that fits and also is eye-catching. Um, you don't want to like if I was writing this book, as much as I would love to see like an anime version of this character, it would not fit with people who were looking to read a YA Academy book. They'd, they'd be like, oh, this is some kind of manga and they'd scroll past it. So, um, you know, I, cause I really love anime too. Um, so <laughs> when you have a book like this, it needs to, you know, it needs to catch the eyes of the people who are going to, who are looking for that and who are going to love it. So, and um, as Doc said earlier, she just, she held it up and she was like, I got this in the mail and it was so beautiful. Um, so that's important. Um, so, I mean, if any of you out there are, are authors and you're looking to try to publish a book, try to, try to bear that in mind and find someone who can work with, who you feel like they, they know what they're putting together for you. It's important and it's beautiful. It comes out like you just sitting there going, oh, wow. For like a whole day, I was like, <sighs> and I, you I should didn't get feel that way done. about your book covers, particularly as the author. Yeah, I, I know mean, some people that don't like the genre conventions for the books that they write, but um, that's usually kind of the exception. Yeah, I, I knew I met I've met some authors who didn't like their book covers, and I always felt so bad for them mm -hmm. because they didn't like them. Even if I liked the cover, and they were like, yeah. It's a cover. So, because you should love it. It's your baby. 
So speaking of loving it, what is it about, uh, and sorry to interrupt you, Doc, but before we move into the series, what is it about the Academy stuff that you like so much? That's not a series I normally, like a style of, of story I normally read. One of the things um, that I like is growing the characters. Um, I have the opposite of a green thumb. I'm not sure what you call it. Uh, a decayed Black. thumb, I guess. It's like just, no, it's worse than that. It's decayed. Um, it's like salted. It's like the salted thumb, salted earth, salted thumb. I cannot make plants grow. Um, they just, they see me and they go, no, and they, they, they just staple their hands to their foreheads and they die. Um, so because I maybe because I can't grow plants, I want to grow characters. Um, and I just love taking these, especially cause they're younger, these characters that haven't figured out exactly what they are yet and haven't become anything yet and kind of follow them as they move through the story making choices and growing from it um there's just something rewarding about that and i've written books about adults um and i feel like that there's some reward in writing something where maybe someone is moving past uh grief that they've been through uh or other forms of trauma but I like writing gentler story. Um, and I know that if anybody watching this has read um, Hawthorne Academy, especially if you read the whole thing, you're like, that was gentle. And it's like, no, it is. I do read in this genre. Um, and sometimes I see books that I'm just, I can't finish them because it's like the authors are, are punishing the characters. And I kind of, it's tough. Um, I think I'd rather be um, I'd rather be my hero academia than Tokyo Ghoul. If you're if you're an anime fan, you'll you'll understand that. Um, and uh, I mean, compared to some of the big big books out there like uh, Divergent and um, Hunger Games, this is a very cozy one. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I love it. So I put some slice of life things in. Um, Sometimes I feel like um, when, it, when I was having a harder time, when I was a teen, I needed those moments. I needed those breaks. I needed the laughs. Uh, I needed that, uh, those occasional times where you're just hanging out with your friend in your room and you have music on and you're jumping around, like dancing badly to it. Um, and I feel like when I show the characters doing those things, it lets people like whether they're older or younger kind of remember or think of the fact that that's important to do that we all need that sometimes can you tell us some about mavis the main character um mavis is mavis is a character who just she wants to just go to school and get it over with and get out get in get it done get out um and she wants to focus on it she wants that so badly just to to get out of to get through school and graduate and leave she wants to get out of salem um when she um when she comes home from visiting her brother who's in danvers sanitarium he he did a bit of violence um, in a fit of rage. And um, then, you know, she comes back and, and 
her mother kicks her out of the house for visiting him. She's a nasty character. Um, so Mavis has to deal with trying to keep this promise that she's made to herself and her brother that she would get through school, graduate and leave. And dealing with the fact that she hasn't got a place to sleep in schools tomorrow. Um, so that's how she starts the book. Fortunately, some folks get, um, you know, they kind of come across her and help her out. Okay. Always good to have friends that help you out. Mm -hmm. So um, what about secondary characters? Were there any that you think stood out to you um, in this, in this first novel that you really enjoyed writing? Um, one character who really surprised me uh, was Wyatt Clayton. He's a red cap. He's rude. He starts out as a real jerk. Um, and he grows. He's one of the characters that I really felt like grew a lot in the, through the series. Um, and, you know, he grows a lot more than through the rest of the series than he does in, in book one. Um, another one that really also surprised me just because he went in a very different direction that I had intended was Cosmo. Cosmo is a lion shifter. He I love is Cosmo. He is so quirky. I love him too. I love him so much. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. if I had, if I had like, mm -hmm. if I was a dude and I was a big dude, I probably would have been a lot like Cosmo. He like he dresses all in black because his brother does, and he thinks his brother's the coolest guy ever. Um, and he does art, but he keeps it on the down low. Uh, and otherwise he plays sports. He, he's not what he seems. He seems just like this big dude who just loves everybody and wants friends, but he's way more than that. Um, and he's a, he's a source of, of stability to the other characters. Cause he's always got, he's always like there cheering them on and like, yeah. Um, and then there's Ed. And, um, if I got to be honest with myself, um, Ed's very close to my heart because he's chronically ill. Uh, he has asthma and he has had to grow up very fast. So, um, his, his family kind of fell apart when he was still in grade school and he had to pick up a lot of slack He's a prodigy. He's a burnt out gifted kid by the time that Mavis meets him. And he's he's done. He's just like, also, I want to just get through school and get out of here and not go to college because I spent time around college students like way too much in elementary school, middle school. So no, thank you. Um, and like seeing the other characters sort of help revive his enthusiasm. That was really that was really good. I really loved writing that. Okay, so what about bad guys? Is there any bad guys in this series that your main character has to confront without giving us spoilers that you can tell us about? Well, I already talked about her mom. Um, Mavis has six siblings. Um, all of them are on her mother's side except her brother, who's the next youngest, and he's the guy in the sanitarium. So he spends almost the whole first book not on the same plane of existence as her because the sanitarium is in the is in the adjacent to the fairy realm. So um, she goes to visit him and that's really how we see him. 
um, the mom is responsible for him being there in that predicament. Um, Mavis's mom, Morgan, had to drop out of school. She is bitter over that. Um, and she has let it color every interaction she's had with people from peers to her own children for the rest of her life. Um, and so she's really manipulative, uh, crafty, cunning, and she has certain people over a barrel that I cannot mention due to spoilers. Um, another one is there's something wrong in the under. Mavis um, gets charged with a quest there to eradicate this evil that even the monarchs aren't sure exactly what it is. It's so far out in the distance of the fairy realm, far across the ocean. Um, so they're on a sea voyage in the fairy realm on like these this, these ships out in, in the ocean. Um, so we have a, a sort of a pirate adventure going on at the same time as all this other stuff. Uh, and there are antagonists out there. There's more than one. Um, and they come in further into the series, but we do have to watch the characters sort of figure things out about them, solve mysteries and track them down. Okay. So, you know, we talked about some of the dark things that we do to characters as authors. So speaking of characters and yours specifically, if they met you in a back alley and they knew that you were author D.R. Perry, who, who created the torment they lived through, how do you see that interaction playing out? Um, I think that depends. Definitely all of my antagonists would hate my guts. I'd be dead. Uh, they don't win. They think they do. Sometimes they don't win. Um, there, I, I really like uplifting endings. I like to put, uh, you know, my characters might, they prevail and there's always a cost. Um, nothing's free, but my characters, my, my protagonist characters. Yeah. I think some of them would be really angry at me. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't really worry for my physical safety because almost all of them are not the kind of people who would who would pop off and and hurt me. They might lock me in Danvers Sanitarium though. <laughs> you know, it's like a bad place to be having read the book. No, it's not. It's not. Um I I don't like the trope of mental hospitals as horrifying places that you don't want to end up in. I really think that's not what they should be. And I also <laughs> wanted to twist that trope and have it a a place that felt comforting instead of frightening. You know, I okay. think if we had more like that, it people would um, maybe help take, take some of the stigma off of it. I've gotten help before and it was extremely beneficial and I wouldn't be where I was today if I hadn't gone, bitten the bullet and gone and got myself help. Um, it's, um, I think it's important that nobody, nobody should do it alone. Um, and I can't write a book in good conscience about the power of friendship without having people seek help from the folks who know what they're doing and who have chosen careers and lives of helping other people. That is incredibly well said. So um, were there any scenes that you kind of cut and you plan on using later from this book? Like, did you cut something and toss it into book two? 
or got, toss in and go, mm, you should be in a novella? Um, I prolonged uh, a relationship that was supposed to happen sooner into a slow burn. Um, so that doesn't come through until year three. Um, so that got put off, but it happens. Um, one thing that I got to talk about is the power of beta readers. And if you're listening and you're a beta reader, oh my God, thank you so much. You're awesome. You're amazing. So beta readers save the story and literally save characters' lives. I have one character who I was dead set on killing off. I wrote the scene that it was supposed to happen in and I cried my eyes out and I could not write for three days after I got that one down as a draft. Um, when I sent it to the beta readers, they said, no, no, you can't kill this guy. No, do not. Don't kill this character. You, you, you have to somehow find a way to have, you know, them not be dead, anything but dead. And I said, anything, hmm, I can work with that. And I did, I had to have that character absent from the story for most of the rest of, um, you know, the year the next year book but um that was that was easy enough to do all things considered uh i have a bit of medical knowledge i was a cna and hospice aide for 10 years um so i do know certain things um also i'm chronically ill and i face some physical mobility challenges myself um so i i went in that direction um that character well, the beta readers saved their life. So <laughs> thank you. Do you have, speaking of characters, do you have a favorite character archetype you like to use? Um, I like, I really just like when a character is, um, like it uses pieces of a trope or an archetype and it's not the same thing. Like it looks like it but it isn't. Um, so twisting a trope is something I love, I love to do. I had this guy, um, Tony, he's Cosmo's big brother. I mentioned Cosmo. His big brother is like this surly, hinky, sneaky, like everybody is suspicious of him guy. And he's hinky and sneaky because he's watching everyone's back. You know, um, there's this copy pasta from Reddit about uh, the evil Lord Chancellor and how he saved the Doll Kingdom countless times. And that evil Lord Chancellor is a title and everybody expects him to be this evil, horrible guy because of how he looks and how he talks. But he's actually like the best guy in the kingdom. Right. Well, that's Tony. Um, I love characters like that where the readers think that they're getting one type of character and it's like, no, <laughs> it's not that it's this. And then people are like, Whoa, I love that. So we have just barely scratched the surface and I know, and I saw where you did the same thing with Mavis and I thought it was great when she was struggling academically and there was a twist on why it wasn't what everybody else. It was not the answer. Every other academy story i've seen went to so in that similar situation but can you tell us a bit about the magic in this universe because definitely is there 
So um, my magic is integrated with technology. Um, when the Berlin Wall fell, the whole world found out about magic. And so back in the at the end of the 80s, we're like, oh, we're coming into a new decade. Holy crap, magic is real. And there was a, a good deal of strife during that time, especially with vampires. Um, people found them very uh, upsetting. Um, but the very first thing that happened was psychics and magi decided, well, the secret's out. Let's do some good with it. And they decided to get with some, um, you know, some of the mortal people who were making medical devices and start collaborating with them, enchanting uh, people's prosthetics, making um, durable medical uh, medication delivery systems. And Mavis uses one of these devices. Um, and one of the things I don't like is when I read a, a series and there's magic in it and the magic cancels out a disability. However, in my books, I have um, magic used to treat conditions. It doesn't erase them. Um, but wouldn't it be nice if you have ADHD and one of the biggest challenges is remembering to take your meds because yeah. you could use alarms, right? But how do you remember to set your alarms? What happens if your phone reboots and your alarms are gone? What you're happens trouble. if your meds wear off before you're done? Yeah. If, you're, if your meds wear off, if you're doing something else and you're not near your phone that has your alarm, I don't know how many times I've had that happen with my own medication. And it's not even for ADHD. I just get brain fog. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be awesome if Mavis could have a piece of jewelry that gets refreshed every three months with the, the medication that she needs and she just has it on? No alarms. It's enchanted. It's a, it's a delivery system. Um, so it doesn't negate ADHD if something happens to it, if it runs out, if it gets broken, um, if something zaps it and messes with it, it might have unintended consequences. But um, she, her, the world she lives in has taken this into account. You know, a world with Danvers Sanitarium run by Faye to be kind to humans and extra humans that are more human-like and mortal. Um, they would, not, you know, well, how could they not, how could a world like that not have something that makes, um, help, that <coughs> makes magic more helpful in these, in these sorts of therapies? Um, I also do it in Hawthorne Academy. I have a character with a chronic illness uh, that turns out to be terminal. Um, so it is, um, his story is very interesting. Um, and I cried, <laughs> um, and again, there's magical medicine, there's magical technology. They have, um, at their schools, they do magic science fairs. They have a lab, they enchant things. They learn how to work together with their different types of magic and different types of abilities to try to make things. Um, and make the world kind of a better place than it already is. So. 
Okay. So uh, you definitely inspired some questions that we don't have time to ask. So we're definitely going to have to do a, a fireside chat about magical schools or academies or, or whatever that's called. Because uh, this could be an interesting discussion to, uh, to dive into and we'll have you for that. Having said that, um, you talked about the magic, but uh, you also have um, fantastical creatures in this world in the form of shifters and such. So how do you go about writing them? Do you let nature inspire you? Do you take folklore and myth? Are they coming out of your nightmares? Like, what's your process as the creative person of coming up with these? Um, I do take them from folklore. I look some things up. I try to stick to things that are in my own experience or wheelhouse. Um, the magic birds come from old stories my grandparents used to tell me. Um, my my grandma's family's from Poland. Um, so they used to tell me about um, these the Siren and the Elkanost and the Gamayan. And there are three birds that they have they have the heads of beautiful women they're not harpies but their bodies are birds and their voices have different effects on people uh the siren helps you grieve um the gamayan is there to sit between um the world of the living and the world of the dead and the alkanos is the bird that sings with with you in joy um so i made the Siren, the unsealy aligned bird, and the Gamayan, the neutral, and the Elkanos, the sealy. But sealy and unsealy aren't what they seem in my world either. So that's a very interesting just juxtaposition. Okay. That's one way to do it. And I, I enjoy it when people take from race cultures that you don't see as much of in fiction because it, it gives it a little flavor that's different. Uh, so clearly this interview is winding down, but before we wrap this up, was there anything about Sorrow and Joy in the Gallows Hill Academy series that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us? Um, the main thing is that it's just part of a much bigger world. And while, yes, you can um, jump into Revealed World right at the beginning of Gallows Hill Academy and not get too lost, um, it, does, it does expand things quite a bit if you read... Um, the other two series as well. Um, and don't be afraid, especially if you're looking at these books for um, somebody younger, um, don't be afraid of Providence Paranormal College. I have people reading it who are like 13, 14 years old. I do have characters who drink, they're all over 21. Um, and I don't show any kind of graphic um, love scenes it's very tame that way <laughs> there are people it's implied that they get together that way but i don't put that on screen my characters are very emphatic with me give me my privacy you don't get to see that so i say okay <laughs> and i just let them have that for themselves um some of them don't i have characters um also who are diverse so i've got characters who um are they're straight. I've got characters who are gay. I've got characters who are asexual. Um, I have some neurodivergent characters and I have characters who aren't Christian. Mavis is pagan. Okay. Um, and so we, you mentioned that this is a YA story, but YA can mean different things to different people and not all YA stories are created equal. So what would the age range you think is appropriate for these stories? I usually say, um, I ask people what else that they're that 
the person's been reading, um, you know, whether it's a child or somebody a little bit older. And um, usually that falls in about 13 and up. Um, but I know um, I have a couple of a couple of people have come to me and said they read it. Um, and then they gave it to their child or their grandchild who's 12. Their child or their grandchild is watching, um, you know, they're watching shows like Supernatural on TV. And it's definitely tamer than Supernatural. So. Okay. All right. And so are these books available in um, audiobook or just ebook and print? This is ebook and print for now. Um, we're looking for audio. So if you do audio and you have been listening and you find this interesting. Um, I am published by LMBPN and the person to talk to there is Judith. She does all that stuff. Okay. And the good news for you who like audible, I mean, who like audiobooks but uh, don't like the current market. Apparently this just came out in an article today. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is trying to help some other smaller uh, audiobook publishers break the monopoly by offering better deals for authors to uh, to make it more and better deals for the readers too or listeners, I guess. So hopefully we'll see some shaking up in 2023 of the audiobook market and maybe it becomes viable enough more authors that you like will start throwing books out there in that in that space. So, all right, this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. Reading and writing is sort of symbiotic. They write, you read, you review to tell other people to read, and then they can afford to keep writing. It works that way. So so help, uh, help water the garden, so to speak. But uh, with that said, uh, Miss Perry, can you please tell listeners and readers how they can find you? And as usual, it will be in the show notes. Okay. Um, you can find me on Amazon. I have an author central page. There's a little button there. You can click follow and you'll get emails from Amazon that say, check out this new book by D.R. Perry or something along those lines. I don't know how they phrase it lately, but um, yeah, they, that's one way to do it. Another way is my website. Um, it's drperryauthor.com. And I always post up as soon as I have a link, I post up the book. So if it's on pre-order, it'll say in parentheses when it's coming out. Um, and you can get to the books right from there. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you can try to, you can send me a message or leave a comment. Uh, I do try to uh, respond to those. Sometimes it takes me a little while. I do write an awful lot in uh, I do have chronic illness, so sometimes I'm out of spoons, but I'll get back to you. Um, on my website, there's also an email. You can click to email me, and you can also join my email list. If you join the email list, then you get news on what's going on, um, especially for things like appearances. I'm going to Dragon Con, and I just found out I'm going to Boss Cone, too, and that's Ooh. in Boston. I haven't really done, like, a convention in a major area around here in a long time. So um, if you're up in the Northeast and you're like, oh, I can't can't make it to Dragon Con the last couple of years. How am I going to see this D.R. Perry person that I'm hearing all this stuff about? Well, Boss Cone, you can get there on the T. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> and if you send an email, like, if you write any kind of, fan, if you have fan art or anything like that, if you're like my spouse and you're always drawing something, um, email it to me. I'll post it on my social media. 
post it on your social media and tag me. I will be like, OMG, that's so awesome. Like, I'll find <laughs> out. I'll show it to everybody because, like, oh my God, nobody does fan art <laughs> except my spouse. It's like exciting. Um, whenever I see other authors who get that, I get excited for them too. So you're, you're like generating excitement for the author community in general when you do things like that. Thank you. Okay. And you can find us, dear listener, I'm going to try not to sneeze on you, but uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page where you can follow us, but as, as of yet, we do not have enough followers that we get a dedicated URL. Uh, so for now, you'd have to just Google Blasters and Blades Facebook page. It should come up in the search engine and you should be good. Uh, you can also follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can also support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. Or you could support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes from joy, joy of coffee. Uh, and uh, also we mentioned this in the end of season two sort of season and review episode, but uh, we are exploring the um, monetization options through Anchor FM. It looks like we could set up memberships and potentially give bonus content that route. So uh, we will have that set up. And then if we have enough takers, we'll start producing a few extra episodes for that. And on that happy note, Doc, bring us home. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us uh, for the absentee nick who did try and show up today the idle brain jr and the amazing dr perry thank you for joining us please go check out the book it's wonderful um until then we'll see we'll see you guys then next at the same time same place doing whatever wacky weird thing we can figure out to drive jr nuts with next that is so, the life oh dr how do you like your pizza Pineapple, mm. yes or no? I can do pineapple, but it has to have bacon too. Yes!